0: Verse 1 one of Ephesians, I'm going to read through verse 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Christ Jesus." According to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespass, according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Whew. It's a lot. So, as we're going through as more of an overview, one of the things that we kind of looked at last week is that this uh, community in Ephesus came about in a radical way, right? God was doing unusual miracles, handkerchiefs were healing people. There was like, Uh, The whole silver guild was in desperate need. They're about to go out of business. There was a lot that was going on. And what we see is that in this world, this crazy, chaotic, modern world at the time, God formed this new community of Jesus followers. And he did it in such a profound way that it ends up with these people who are still trusting in magic, ends up burning their books, and there's this radical change where the whole area starts finding out about Jesus. And so what we're going to see as we study this book is, is this new community, that God is forming this new community, and that what took place you know, over thousands of years ago, God's wanting to do with us today in our community. And although there's some obviously differences, God still is wanting to do a cool work in our city, in our neighborhoods, where we're forming a new community. And I think of all the conversations I have in this city, people that follow Jesus and those that don't the number one thing that people miss and desire is relationship and community. Like that's the one thing they miss. And so as we look through this, though, we're going to see that there's a couple different things that we're going to need to look at. And that is that we're talking about us living in our very own city and at the same time this idea of being in Christ, right? We're seeing this idea that where there's two worlds that we're existing in at the same time. The already and then not yet, like that we're stuck in this middle of something that will take place one day, completed, but at the same time is real now, but we're also living in this physical world with its, our struggles and our challenges and our weaknesses. And so it's one of these ideas that we're citizens of the new kingdom, but we're also citizens of the United States, right? Like, so we're going to have that language go back and forth. You know, when we get to Ephesians chapter two, where it says you're seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, like this completed, finished work, but yet here I am, right? So there's a couple things to be aware of as we look at that. But the overarching idea is that this is a continuation of the story of God redeeming the world. And this is really how it's going to play out. Like if we looked at the story beforehand of this idea of God redeeming the world and bringing it to himself, that's the gospel, this good news that we're going to be looking at. What we're seeing as we go through the book of Ephesians is really the practicals of what does it look like to connect the gospel to everyday life. What does that look like? How does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? And basically, what does it look like just to live as a follower of Jesus? So, another aspect to be keeping in mind as we go through this is that if the gospel is only something for non-believers, then we're going to miss, I think, the beauty of this book. And what I mean by that, and I've shared it many times, but... Often we reduce the gospel, or at least churches as a whole reduce the gospel as, as something that is it's this thing for people that don't know Jesus so they can say a prayer and go to heaven when they die, and that's awesome and that's good and there's nothing wrong with that. But it's not just that. The gospel is part of a larger story that we're a part of, and it is good news for us as followers of Jesus right now that Christians need to be reminded of the good news that Jesus is my righteousness and Jesus is my forg- has secured my forgiveness. That I am valued by the Father because of Christ. I have value and identity because of who God has declared me to be. But at the same time, I've been forgiven of my sin. That, that the only thing I have to bring to the table is the sin that makes Jesus' sacrifice necessary. right? And so, But with that, I am loved and adored by the Father. So it's not just like God's like, oh, I have to help you again. No. Right? And I think as followers of Jesus, it's easy to go, now that I'm following Jesus, I need to work for his approval. I need to work for God to love me. I need to work for God to be pleased with me. And when I'm doing good, God's happy with me. And when I'm not doing great, God's disappointed in me. And so this constant roller coaster of I'm killing it, I'm terrible, I'm killing it, I'm doing awesome, you know, like and I think we can we can laugh because I've come from that background, I've functioned in that space, and it is exhausting. And so the the title of today is The News Is Good. The news is good for us. I know everybody in this room, were fathers of Jesus. It's good news even still. What we're going to see as we go through this first section is that the whole, every member of the Trinity is active in, in what's going on. We see the, it starts with the Father, we see Paul transition into the Son, and we see it end with the Holy Spirit. And so I think it's beautiful as we're looking at this, because... If we don't see it through the lens of this idea that the gospel is good news for us, then the, the result is, as believers, we leave here and say, we need to get to work. We need to do more. That isn't our goal. Like, there is going to be challenges as we get to the second half of Ephesians where we're going, hey, Paul's like, hey, you need to be a good husband. You need to be a good wife. Like, there's that, right? We are going to have application where we need to like, the gospel should affect how I am as a father, but the goal isn't to leave with a bunch of checklists saying, you need to do this better and this better and this better. And if you do this, you're killing it. And if you're terrible at it, then I don't know what to tell you, right? So let's get into it. Ephesians chapter 1, the introduction. Paul starts off by introducing himself, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul's obviously starting going, hey, I'm an apostle. You should listen to me, Right? But at the same time, he's explaining, like, I didn't put myself in this place. This is by the will of God. Like, he literally knocked me off my high horse while I'm going um, to a place to persecute people. And he called me to this. And then he calls the people of Ephesus saints, which I think we've all heard that, this idea that we're set apart ones. You don't have to wait till you die to become a saint. But I like how he calls them saints that are faithful, right? Like, There's this aspect that they're faithful. That's a description of who they are and then where they're at in Ephesus. But the biggest difference, I think, even in this, he goes, you're in Ephesus, but you're also in Christ Jesus. He's starting the book by showing right off the get-go that you're, yes, you're physically here in Ephesus, but you're also in Christ. This idea of in Christ is repeated 12 times in these 14 verses, a version of it, in the beloved, in him, in Christ. And so we're going to see that repeat itself over and over again. And then he finishes that section by saying grace and peace to you. And I love that order, right? We can't really have peace without grace. And then he gets into it. So this first six verses, we're going to see God's glorious purpose, and that is the Father chose us. Now, what I'm not going to talk about is all the things you think I'm going to talk about. No, this isn't about where you're God's, you God's—you know man's free will, predestination. We're going, to, we're going to just sort of read it as it says, right? Here's the reality. It is good news that the Father chose us. And we're going to see what he chose us to. First off, he starts off by the first thing, verse 3. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Blessed, Blessed be God. He starts with praise. And really this whole section is praising God for what he has done. That is one of the core foundational aspects when I talk about the gospel is necessary for followers of Jesus, is the gospel is about God. It's not about us. He's starting to say, like, hey, listen, praise be to God. Like, this is what, I'm gonna tell you what God has done for you. It's whole sections about him. And it says that he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Um, That's hard sometimes, I think, to think about. Because we look at our life, sometimes and we be like, "Really? Like life's hard, or I'm struggling here." Like, but what's crazy is this idea is that that Jesus has made a way for everything that God has for us that we can that is available to us. Not that we always take a hold of it, or not even that God always gives it. But like, there's nothing keeping us from from God blessing us. Does that make sense? And one thing to keep in mind is that blessing isn't a reward, and that's something I think is is something that I don't know how often that's communicated. I came from a background often where this idea that if I'm doing well, then God's going to bless me. If I'm doing bad, God's not going to bless me. That's a reward. We see throughout scripture that God blesses those that are even disobeying. I mean, the story of Samson is is a story of God blessing somebody that never at one point was obedient for pretty much the entire time. He was in constant rebellion against God, and God blessed him and blessed his family and used him. Look at the story of Saul. There was only like a brief second in the entire story of King Saul where he was killing it. Like, it was, he wasn't even, he failed at the very beginning and he kept for the entire time. And God blessed him and his family and the nation of Israel. Sometimes God blesses our enemies. It says the sun shines on the good and the evil, right? Like, and sometimes we may not feel like we're experiencing God's blessing, but we but we feel like we deserve it. And I think that goes back to our idea of the gospel. If we believe like, because I'm now this, this child and I'm doing all this good things now, look at all the stuff I'm doing, God, of course I should be receiving goodness from you in the way that we determine what's good. But it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes we experience suffering and pain and heartbreak and God's working in the middle of that and he's making us more like Jesus, but it's not always our idea of blessing, right? So we've been blessed with everything, and he says one of the reasons we should be blessing him, right, that we should be blessing God and praising him is because he chose us in Christ, right, before the foundations of the world. How, what did he choose us to do? That we should be holy and blameless before him. This idea of in him, like I said, 12 times in 14 verses. The aspect of this that I think is so beautiful is that God predetermined that how we should have a relationship with him should be that of, that we are before him blameless, right? And that was fulfilled in Christ, but the relationship was never this um, a relationship of separation, okay? God determined that human beings would be in this intimate relationship with himself, that his, his intention was that he would bring us in, right, invite us to the table, bring us into this relationship that he's had with himself, essentially, Father, Son, and Spirit for all of eternity, that we should be holy and blameless, set apart in this intimate relationship before the foundations of time. And we see that this really goes along all of Scripture as we see that God is pursuing God, right? Even in John chapter 6, 44, Jesus was saying that no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Like, God is pursuing humanity, and I love it. And I think if we get caught sometimes down in the nuance of what happened first, we miss the beauty of it, right? That we should be holy and blameless before him, which is the only way that we can be before God. Why? Why did he do this? He says, verse 5, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of his will so we may be the glorious grace, um, praise of his glorious grace. He chose us this way, and and in the midst of that, he chose to have this relationship, that of adoption, right? He predestined us for adoption. That is so beautiful, right? Like, obviously, we hear a lot of this idea of being children of God, and and what does that look like? And, And some would say that it's like, obviously, biological, and others would say, that it's this idea that we're all children of God. But what we see in Scripture is that we are children of God through adoption. And that is awesome because some of us, if we were like a, literally like an adoption agency for, the, for gods, I guess, we probably wouldn't be picked, man. Like, that's just the reality of it. But God has determined this desire to have relationship with human beings that of a father and a son, father and a daughter. And he wants to have this relationship in a way that he's like, I'm, I'm inviting you to be part of my family. And he does it before, before we clean ourselves up. Are we, we ever cleaned up, right? I feel like as longer I walk with Jesus, the more it's this idea of me seeing more and more of my just brokenness. It's almost like that's God's grace that we come to follow him. He doesn't open our eyes to see all of our depravity. Because often the longer I walk with Jesus, the farther away I see him I'm getting. But at the same time, the more he's beautiful, and I'm just like, man, like, thank you that you didn't show me all of this jackness when I first started following you. It would have been overwhelming. And I think what's even crazier about that is I think that when people say to be before a holy and perfect God results in us dying, it is this aspect where we come before this holy and perfect God and we are fully exposed and it kills us. It is overwhelming. And God's saying, come into my family. And He's, because He's this holy and perfect God, knowing the only way that can happen is He has to deal with our sin. And so He comes, the one true deserving Son, the only one of the Father comes and fulfills everything necessary so that we could experience adoption. So our access to God is only because of Jesus. And we've been forgiven because of Jesus. It's by His grace. And I think that's why He says, To the praise of his glorious grace, which he blessed us in the beloved, the beloved son, right? The only beloved son. In him we have redemption. The forgiveness of our trespass. We're going to talk about that in a second with Jesus, but I want to just, as we're talking about adoption, I think it's important for us to always address, you know, especially when we're talking to people in our you know, in our community, in our city, and whatever else. Like, when you talk about father, sometimes that's not a good news for some people, right? Some people have some pretty bad dads. And so I always want to throw out there that the idea that God is good, right? He is good. And although we may have experienced poor fathers, poor mothers, poor family life, maybe just all of that, like the idea that God is good, and he loves us right where we're at, and he wants us. And with that, as adoption, we are part of a new family. Right? We still have our own old family, right? We're still in Ephesus, but in Christ, right? We have this, this dual family taking place. But the beauty of that is that we don't get to choose our family, right? Like, I didn't get to choose my sibling. I didn't get to choose my parents. I didn't get to choose my aunt and uncle, right? God placed me in this family. And he's done the same for us as followers of Jesus. He's given us a family, right? And it could be a family in our city like this. It could be a larger family, but it's we don't get to choose the family. And so there's something about that that's really hard, and also great. Is that we're this idea of committed to love one another regardless of whether or not we feel like the other person's earned it or deserves it, right? And so just wanted to touch on that before we kept rallying in through it. Is that? The family aspect of followers of Jesus is something that's really, really beautiful. Let's move on real quick. Oh, man. she's having a hard time. It's all good. What's that? No, yeah. I'm like, where am I out here? No, yeah. I'm getting older, Trevor. Yes. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of his grace, with which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose which he has set forth in Christ Jesus as a plan of the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things on heaven and things on earth. And so we saw that this idea that God, is just, he chose us his glorious purpose, but we also see God's gracious payment, and that is the son ransomed us. We've been redeemed through his blood. Obviously, redemption means bought, paid for, the idea of, of slaves being bought out of the slave market so they have freedom. Right? That's something that's taken place. But he really clarifies, I think, even more beautiful what the redemption Im- what it means for us, and that is the forgiveness of our trespasses. And I love that Paul used it that way. He not say he just didn't say forgiveness of sin. He said forgiveness of trespass. And one of the things I think that's so Uh, helpful as we look at this idea of sin is that there's multiple words that are often used in scripture, right? Sin is this idea of missing the mark. Like, I'm trying to hit the bullseye. Like, I'm really giving a good effort, and I just am bad at archery, right? Like, that's a sin. I missed, right? Trespass is like, there's a line, and I'm like, I'm walking over. It is a willful rebellion against God, right? Don't cross this line, right? All of us have kids, Right, One and two years old, like, so I'm going to do it, right? Just. It is a trespass. It is, an, it is intentional. It is willingly rebelling against God. And it says that because of Christ's redemption, we have forgiveness, complete, full re- forgiveness of our trespass and our sin. But he went with like the worst one right off the get-go. That is hard for us to believe Regularly if you're anything like me, there's this aspect when I'm struggling where I feel like I need to work off my sin, right? Like, I screwed up here, but I'm gonna like make it up over here. And I know theologically that's not true, but I functionally do that. And this idea like I need to read more, I need to serve more, I need to give more, I need to do more. Like, I know I'm forgiven, but I don't feel forgiven. That is A gospel distortion that I think all of us struggle some more than others. And what I mean by a gospel distortion is it is me saying, Jesus, I know that you paid for my sin. And I know that you said it is finished. But I don't believe that. I also need to pay for some of my sin. And I'm going to do it until I feel okay. The hardest thing to receive is a free gift. And I have any, I I, I do not believe there's anything harder as human beings to receive free gift. There is always this aspect for us, we want to pay something back. And that is why it's this constant faith. And we want to feel like we earned something, right? So if you look at just the good news of who God is and what he's done, it's this idea of going, I am going to give you free righteousness. Free. Can't make yourself any more righteous, right? And I'm going to give you forgiveness. Like, I am getting, I'm finding, I'm being affirmed, essentially, in the Father because of what Jesus has done, and I want to earn, I want to feel like I've done enough, and at the same time, I'm wanting to work off my brokenness, and to come to God with nothing is the hardest posture to have. I'm not my sin, I'm not my success, but to come with nothing and say, like, accept freely, is the hardest thing and as followers of Jesus we need to be reminded of that like that's why the gospel is still good news for us because I want to feel like I earn it I want to feel like I deserve it and at the end of the day I can't and so for me to go Jesus your sacrifice was enough like ultimately that's me saying God like I don't accept that I have to feel it I have to earn it I have to do more and so as followers of Jesus, at those moments when we recognize that, we're able to just go, thank you, Lord, that you did this. And we can repent just even little ways like, although I don't feel this, I trust you in it. Like, although I don't feel forgiven, like, I know it's true. Like, because at that moment, we're embracing Jesus, right? Like, and it's, it's hard it's to, to walk in faith going, I am I am accepted by the Father because of Jesus' righteousness, not mine. I am forgiven by the Father because of Jesus' sacrifice, not mine. And to walk in that space. And so Jesus' payment essentially is good news. Now part of this prayer essentially that that Paul's, it's not a prayer yet. He gets into the idea that he's revealing the mystery of his will, having our eyes opened. The desire we see at the very end of the text of God wanting to do this is to unite all things in him, things on heaven and things on earth. God designed the world perfect and as he designed it, humans included in that. Sin came in and broke it. Jesus came to redeem it with the goal of it all being united and reconciled. It's this very circular kind of Uh, timeline, rather than us in a very linear way, which makes sense because it comes from an Eastern culture, but that God's desire is to unite all things. He's wanting to redeem the world. He's wanting to reconcile it as it was. And that's something that I think is good because we can be a part of that. Like, we're a part of of his will. Like, we can be ministers of reconciliation, as it says, in our jobs and in our community. That I think, you know, the reason why I've even touching on this, I come from a background where it was this idea that it's all going to burn anyway. Why does it matter? right? Like, you're going to hell, it's all going to burn, God's going to destroy it. Like, but we see that's not God's heart. God's heart is to reconcile the world to himself. He's to unite all things under him. And uniting is, I'm not even talking about like the church aspect because there's aspects that the body of Christ is different, but, but I'm just talking about the brokenness of this world. He's wanting this world to... He's bringing it. He will reconcile this world. He will reconcile all things one day. And so that needs to be our heart as we're continuing on in his mission. That we're ministers of reconciliation. We're partnering with him. And so, moving on to the last section here, verse 11. It says, we see the Holy Spirit kind of playing a part next, right? We see God's glorious purpose the Son's gracious payment, and now we see God's guaranteeing presence, and that is the Spirit indwells us. So in Him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of His glory. In Him, you also, when you've heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. A seal. Back then, you'd seal a legal document. With wax, right? This idea that it made it official. It was um, often if, if like Caesar would seal something, it was like you couldn't undo it. It's the idea of notori- We have notarization today, same idea. Um, but really, what it involves is it, it kind of it, this idea of ownership and protection, right? Like that's what the seal would do back then. That's what it does today. Like this is official. This is there's an ownership involved. There's protection involved, and we see that um, God has completed essentially this transaction with us. I love how he says, "When you heard and believed the gospel," like we heard it, and there's this aspect of believing it this transformation began to take place. We see that the Holy Spirit came and comes and indwells us. And I think that's one of the things that I often take for granted and don't think about. I mean, I know it's true, right? Like, I know God's with me. Yeah, He's living inside, right? That I have the Holy Spirit. I know that. But I don't always function that way. And what I mean by that is that with this transaction that took place, this down payment that was given, this earnest money, right? That the Holy Spirit is, is a, like I work in the auto industry, right? People put a down payment down. It's like, they're buying, it's theirs. They bought it, right? The transaction hasn't fully taken place yet because most people are financing, right? But, but their ownership is involved. They have skin in the game. Like, it's theirs. The Holy Spirit has been given to us as this down payment. That God wants us. For his, right? Like, he's not reluctant to have you and me. It's not like he's like, all right, I guess I'm stuck with this guy. Like, he went to the orphanage and chose you. And he said, I'm going to give you my spirit as a promise that I'm going to complete the work I began in your mind. And although the transaction is not fully done, you're still a work in progress, and one day I'm going to reconcile all things. Your Holy, my Holy Spirit in you is a promise that, I, that you're mine, and I'm not done with you, and, I'll, and I'm going to work. I'm going to do this stuff in you. That is, like, that is good news. Because I think so often there's this constant message of, like, you're just garbage, you're just lucky that God's even giving you grace. And yeah, we're, we're sinners, man. We're jacked up. But God loves us. And he died for you. And like, he is pursuing you. And he's pers- the reason why you're here today is because God's pursued you. And he's not absent from our lives. And he's given us his Holy Spirit as a reminder. And even to the point where I see you in my life, and I've told this story so many times, but I'm going to tell it again is how I would view the Holy Spirit is always like this reminder of all the times I'm screwing up. That, I, that the Holy Spirit, like I know conviction is from the Holy Spirit and it's like, man, you screwed up again. You screwed up again. You're bad at this. You suck at this. Like, man, I can't believe you, you did the same exact sin over and over again. And my idea of how God saw me and how the reason I had the Holy Spirit was this constant check of like all of the ways that I'm screwing up. And what's crazy to me is that that idea of, of God giving us this guarantee, and I've touched on it, another word, it could be dowry. Or, or in our term, an engagement ring. That the Holy Spirit is a guarantee, an engagement ring, a dowry of this inheritance that's to come. And, and the whole idea of that just blew my mind, because I was like, wait, that is a reminder that I'm loved. That is a reminder that I'm wanted, that I'm desired, that this person wants to spend the rest of their life with me. As I remember Rachel like on a ferry back from Victoria, Canada is catching the light just right. And yet, when I experience the Holy Spirit, mostly, yes, sometimes when we're in music, it's sweet or I'm in prayer or in the Word, but it's often mostly when I'm convicted of sin. Think about that. And where my mind goes, I can't believe you screwed up again. That's what I think God's thinking. God's saying, I love you. Turn to me. Like, I want you. Look to me instead of that thing or that stuff. Like, I love you. I want you. I've given you my spirit as a down payment. I'm working on you. Turn back to me. The good news of the gospel for us changes how we see God and ourselves and our neighbor. We see a loving and holy God pursuing us and doing everything necessary so that we might be with him. And giving us himself to remind us that we're loved and that he wants us. And it doesn't mean we run into sin because those that see that and we're reminded of a love, like, we don't want to. The love of God, the kindness of God, leads to repentance. His kindness, his pursuit, his gentleness, his love. It's like, I love you. Look to me. And so with that, let's reflect on that a little bit. That we see the father at work with this providing the payment, the son at work, just doing everything necessary, the spirit coming as his sweet gift that God is actively desiring us to know him and to be with him in a beautiful way. And his heart and his desire is for our heart. He doesn't care about our activity. He wants our heart. The activity will follow, I promise you. As God comes after our heart, there will, no, there will not be like, you have to do more and be more. It will naturally be taking place. But Let's focus on that. So let's take, we're going to have some music. I want to have communion available as a reminder of what Jesus has done. We come and we take as, this is, as if we're invited to the table to celebrate what God's done for us. But even right now, like, the world awaits. We've got a lot of stuff waiting for us out there. We've got to drive back to Colorado, stuff like that. But let's take some time just to reflect on God's goodness and his love for us. We may not just start right into singing right away, but we want to just have a time just to just let the Holy Spirit who resides in us speak. And if there's areas, you know, even that you're, we're popping up of like, man, like that's, that's a distortion or whatever. Like, remember that God's showing us that because he wants us and he loves us and he's just wanting us to look to him, him in those areas that we're not. And so we'll continue into music after a little bit of time. Come when you want. Dip the bread in the juice. And um, we'll close in some prayer. Father, thank you.